the the theme that God has given us for this month is great joy. And you know, as a church, uh, the Lord has helped us in the in the last few weeks to to be more intentional with giving ourselves reassurances of the promises of God, reassurances of the fact that God is with us even in all of this, and. Uh, we thank God for the word, the prophetic word he has given us even ahead of this time, uh, towards the end of last year, at the first day of the year service. All of those things give us this confidence to know that we serve a God who is all-knowing and we serve a God who is all-loving. Um, and today we're still continuing in that line, but this time we want to zoom in into this theme that God has given us for this month. Oftentimes when the, when, when the theme comes, it comes sometimes as a revelation to pastor, he would share with me and then we'll try and see what kind of, what, what passage in the Bible grounds that theme very well and which phrase coins it best in a manner of speaking. But this particular one for this month, I think it came with the passage ready-made. It came the phrase and everything came directly like that as a message. We didn't have to do much thinking about it. It was clear. And that thing, for God to have given us that word and given us from that particular text, there is something that God wants to say to us, um, even from that particular passage. And that is what we'll be zooming into uh, for today. Acts chapter 8 verse 8, that was where the theme for the month came. And it simply says, and there was great joy in that city. There was great joy in that city. Let us pray. Father, Lord God, we thank you because your word is powerful. We thank you because you are set to speak to us yet again today. We ask, oh God, that your, your word will come forth with simplicity, that which you have for us to root us, root our hearts in your love, and in the confidence of your ability and your ever-present help in times like this, will come alive to us in simple and easy-to-understand ways. I ask, oh God, for grace to communicate that which you've laid upon my heart, and for grace for us to receive it with meekness. Thank you, everlasting Father, for in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Um, so the, the theme for the month once again is is great joy. And the question that was in my heart as I was preparing this message is why, why would God give us a message or a, 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 a word for the month, if you will, that has to do with great joy in a month when he already knows that the world is going to sink deep into anxiety and fear in light of everything that is going on around. And of course, in, in recent weeks, we've heard of how even the prime minister has tested positive. This one has tested positive. That one has tested positive. And then you keep wondering, okay, if our health, health secretary is positive, the royal family, we have people that are positive. There are people in the world of sports, celebrities all around. And you start wondering, okay, so what's, what's up with me? Um, the message in a nutshell, as I, try, I like to try and summarize what I want to say in a nutshell before unpacking it. So the message today in a nutshell is this. In the midst of this pandemic, there is also a great joy, which I've chosen to call a pandemic joy that is hope for grabs. COVID-19 notwithstanding, there can be a joy in our lives, a contagious joy, an uncontainable joy that will spill over into our cities. 
Because of course, the word pandemic essentially means something that is widespread, something that is pervasive, something that is prevalent. So when I'm saying pandemic joy, which by the way is the title for this message, when I'm saying pandemic joy, I'm talking of a joy that is contagious, a joy that spreads over, a joy that, a joy that finds expression in a way that you can't just resist because it is rooted deep down into something. I've heard different people say all sorts of things about, about this virus in, 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 I mean, in the recent times. We've heard both religious and, and even all religious people say things like, I'm just so sure I can't have it. And the question I would have at the back of my mind is, on what basis is that statement coming from? And then how do you even think or process your thoughts about those that eventually have had it and all that? And when I zoomed in back to the passage where God gave us this thing for the month, I saw that there is a whole lot of wisdom that we could glean from it. So I'll read the passage again, and then I will share five thoughts with us as we wrap up the message. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 8. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says, Now Saul agreed to be an accomplice to Stephen's stoning and participated in his execution. From that day on, a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem began. All the believers scattered into the countryside of Judea and among the Samaritans, except the apostles who remained behind in Jerusalem. God-fearing men gave Stephen a proper burial and mourned greatly over his death. Then Saul, who will later become Paul, mercilessly persecuted the church of God, going from house to house into the homes of believers to arrest both men and women and drag them off to prison. Verse 4 says, although the believers were scattered by persecution, they preached the wonderful news of the word of God wherever they went. Philip traveled to a Samaritan city. He preached to them the wonderful news of the anointed one. And the crowds were eager to receive Philip's message. And they were persuaded by the many miracles and wonders he performed. Verse 7 says, many demon-possessed people were set free and delivered as evil spirits came out of them with loud screams and shrieks. And many who were lame and paralyzed were also healed. Verse 8, this resulted in an uncontainable joy that filled the city. An uncontainable joy filling the city. So we want to speak over the next few minutes on pandemic joy. And the context is simple. We saw from verse 1 that he mentioned about Stephen. This is immediately after Acts 7 where Stephen was stoned to death. And... Um, that assassination, if you will, or the murder of Stephen, the, mat the martyrdom of Stephen, killing Stephen, became, it's like a time bomb that sets, that exploded something else. The persecution of everyone that was a follower of Jesus in Jerusalem at the time. You remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said that um, when he was leaving the disciples, he told them to wait till they are endued with power from on high. And that when they receive the power, they will become witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. In other words, the plan was not for them to remain just in, in Jerusalem. God wanted that message, that good news of what had happened to spread all around the world. But at this time, it was still happening just within Jerusalem. Everyone that is a believer is probably living just within the confines of the city of Jerusalem at this time. And God is going to use this persecution that came upon them as what is the, the, the vehicle to make them scatter abroad, taking the gospel message with them. But the point is, 
Jerusalem is a Jewish city at this time. To, to be a Jew living in Jerusalem means that if you're a follower of Jesus, there is every likelihood that the people on your streets would be potential persecutors. In other words, you could even almost argue that the chances that you would be persecuted is higher than the chances that you will catch COVID-19. Because in a sense, everywhere you turn to in Jerusalem, you are finding a Jewish person and there is every possibility that that Jewish person will persecute you if you are a follower of Jesus. So how did the disciples of Jesus, how did the followers of Jesus in that first century, how did they respond to that persecution? How, how, how could that teach us or what could we infer from that about how we could also re respond to the pandemic that we are facing presently, especially in terms of the uncertainties in the days to come? And that leads us to these five thoughts that I thought to share with us. The first is for us to respond faithfully to the pandemic. To respond faithfully to the pandemic. And what do I mean by that? Verse 1 of Acts 8 says, And a great wave of persecution of believers began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and everyone except the apostles fled into Judea and Samaria. In other words, their response was a combination of faith and common sense. They trusted God, they believed in Jesus, but at the same time, they also fled for their lives. In other words, they did what common sense would do. They protected themselves. I like the, 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 the passage in 2 Timothy 1.7 where Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear or cowardice, but of power and of love and of sound mind in the KJV. But in this translation, David translation, it says wise discretion. Wise discretion simply means being sensible. In fact, in the message translation, it says God, God wants us to be bold, to be loving, and to be sensible. And what's, what's, what does that look like for us in, this, in these times? It looks like you staying at home when the government says stay at home. It looks like you yielding to those basic hygienic um, um, recommendations and suggestions that we've been given. It looks like you praying to God, believing that he's capable of delivering us through all this and also taking responsibility for your own health and your own safety. I like um, this excerpt that I saw online about when there was a black plague, uh, a bubonic plague in the 16th century in the days of Martin Luther, the great reformer. And um, there was someone that wrote him a letter to ask about how we're supposed to respond in times like that. In fact, the letter was titled whether one may flee from a deadly plague. So this was him writing back to the person that hacked him. And somewhere in that long article, it's about a four-paged thing, but there's this beautiful excerpt from it. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall also fumigate. I will help to purify the hair. I will administer medicine and take it. He was, he was using his house as a kind of care home at the time for people that were affected. So these are the measures that he himself is, is talking about. He's, he's going to administer medicine to them. He's also going to take the medicine that he needs to take care of himself. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others, causing their death as a result of my negligence. And it goes on and on and on like that. But basically, he's bringing this perspective as well of the balance, common sense and faith. When they come together, we call it wisdom. Stay home as long as it lies in your sensible capacity to do so. 
But again, if you look at that verse 1, you will notice that we were also told that everyone fled except the apostles. The apostles stayed back. And there are, why the text itself, why they stayed back, there are different possibilities to that. I, I read a commentary that the fact that Jesus had instructed them before he left. Of course, we don't have that in the Bible. But that Jesus has instructed them that they must not leave Jerusalem for the next 12 years. And after those 12 years, just so that people can be very, very sure about the fact that he died, he resurrected, he ascended to heaven. And after those 12 years, then they can begin to move on. That is a possibility. Um, there is also the, the simple understanding of the fact that they are staying back because Jesus had given them an analogy that the good shepherd never flees away from the sheep, except the person is a hireling. If the person doesn't have a true heart for the sheep, for the flock, for the people, they run away at the slightest sight of trouble. So that might also be the reason why they are staying back to show that they are, they are not hirelings, they are good shepherds. But the inference from that for us is that there are people who by virtue of their profession and or calling, they can't afford to stay home in the midst of all this. Some of them are in our church, people that are working in health care, people that are working in pharmacy, people that are working as support workers and care workers and all that. What we need to stress from here is that such people are also encouraged to take care of themselves as you go about discharging your duties. And of course, we have prayed for protection and we believe that the Lord will continue to protect us in Jesus' name. The second point is for us to still be a proper human being. And what do I mean by that? Verse 2 tells us that God-fearing men, in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of everybody running and fleeing from, for their lives, trying to protect themselves, in the midst of all that, God-fearing men gave Stephen a proper burial and mourned greatly over his death. It's, it's a human thing to do. It's a proper human thing to do to bury the dead, to mourn with those that mourn, to rejoice with those that rejoice. And in spite of the persecution going on around, in, in spite of the virus of persecution, there are still some godly people that stayed in touch with proper humanity. What does that say to us? We are to continue to be our normal human selves, be a good scouser, be a good homoluabi or whatever equivalent of that you have. Be a good citizen, be a good ambassador of Christ, celebrate baby arrivals and birthdays. Don't buy more than your fair share of toilet rolls and foodstuff. Buy just what you need. Reach out to the neighbor across the road. Reach out to the church member across the town or even your friend and relative across the nations. As of yesterday, the visiting unit of the church were already deliberating on how to distribute members within themselves so that they can continue to reach out to people, find out what's going on, know when someone needs help, report it to the appropriate quarters. We must continue to do all that in spite of what is going on um, and also around us. Then the third point is for us to, to expound our theology. And what do I mean by that? People will begin to have questions for God around this time. Verse 3 of Acts 8 says, Then Saul mercilessly persecuted the church of God. He went from house to house into the home of believers to arrest both men and women and drag them off to prison. I mean, by the time you want to stand back, and thank God for the fact that you are safe. Thank God for the fact that your family is safe. But also remember, just like we were sharing at the growth track some three, four weeks ago, that we also belong to, to, to the whole of humanity. And you know that people that are contracting the virus and those that are dying from it, they are human beings like you. Some of them are Christians like you. Some of them are believers. They are disciples of Jesus. And so 
people can begin to have all sorts of questions for God at this time. You can find yourself questioning the love of God in light of what is going on. You can find yourself being disappointed in the fact that God will permit that some believers be infected with the virus. If that is you, you need a bit of an expansion of your understanding of God. And I'll give you a few reminders to help in that regard. The first is that God is love. There is nothing that changes that fact. He has demonstrated it by the grandest of demonstrations, sending us himself, in a manner of speaking, to die for our sins, to pay the ultimate price for us, to be with him for all eternity. That is the biggest expression of love that God could give, and he has given it, not just for the sake of those of us that have accepted it, but it is for the whole world, for as many as will choose to accept that offer. God is love. Nothing changes that. The second point is we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that sin had, had, had distorted. The fact that God made the provision for redemption and we received it and we became saved, our real self, our spirit became saved, but that, that fact doesn't change the, the, the narrative of the fact that the body of death that we carry will die. Every single one. There is no believer that is exempted from that reality. We are, we are encased, our real self is encased in a body of death and in a, in a fallen world. Romans chapter 8, by the time we get there in our series on Romans, you would start hearing how Paul was describing how even the whole of creation is in back pangs. They are groaning to be liberated. We, the, everything that is living, everything that God created, is affected by this fallen nature. And it's going to bring it all back to place. It's going to reset it. We're going to do away with this body of corruption and put on an incorruptible body at the appointed time. But while that time is yet to come, Christians would fall sick. Christians would catch coronavirus. Christians would, would be partakers of all these things that are going on. It doesn't change the fact that God is love. It doesn't change the fact that God is on our side. And that leads us to another very important point, that death is powerless over the believer. By the time you have this understanding that I was saying on Thursday that the reason why there is so much noise really about the virus is that people are afraid to die. I'm not saying we should want to die. We should desire to die. But death in itself is powerless over the believer. Death is dead. As far as you are concerned, your spirit is eternal. And so there is, when you have that perspective, Pastor was sharing about the right perspective last week, when you have that perspective that there is really nothing out there that you are scared of, there is really nothing out there that can do anything to your real self, your spirit. It helps the way your physical body then begins to live, then begins to think, and then begins to take decisions in light of everything that is going on. The more we allow the reality of our salvation to take root in our lives, the better will be our disposition to this whole uh, situation uh, that we are in. Another reminder is that we exist for the glory of God. It's, our life is not about us. It's all about him. And he would speak the language of his glory through our lives, whichever way he pleases, that brings him the most glory. And we are, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Then we know that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Just like the persecution we're reading about in Acts 8 was for an ultimate good, it's also certain that this COVID-19, bad as it may look, aggressive as it may look, there is a plan, there is a purpose of God in all that is going on. The devil cannot thwart it. The purposes of God prevails and, and, and triumphs 
at any time and at every time. I like the scripture that one of my friends sent to me in light of all these things. Isaiah 52 verse 10 from the message translation. It says, this is God rolling up his sleeves so that all the nations can see his holy muzzled hand. Everyone from, the, from one end of the earth to the other will see God at work doing his salvation work. And I want us to have that at the back of our mind. God is in charge of everything that is going on. Christ is in this crisis and we shall all emerge victorious by his grace. The fourth point is for us to be a spreader of wonderful news. What's the passion translation translated as wonderful news is good news in many other versions. But it's not just good news, it's a wonderful news. It's a wonderful news. This, the, the, the persecution made them to flee, but they are fleeing and carrying the good news, the wonderful news of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ to them as they went into all the cities that we, they went into. So while they were being sensible in protecting themselves, they remained ambassadors of God's message. They remained representatives of Christ, carrying that wonderful news. What is that wonderful news? It's the news that there is hope because Jesus lives. We live in the dispensation when hope is scarce, but there is hope. Christ has paid the price that liberates anyone and everyone from death. It's up for grabs for anybody. The price is fully paid. It's been overpaid as a matter of fact. And what is the hope for? It's the hope that you will live real life, abundant life, a life that, is, that never ends, a life of bliss, a life that brings glory to God. And why is this a good time to be intentional about this? It's because people are going to be eager to receive our message. We saw that in verse 6. They were eager to receive the message that Philip brought in the midst of that persecution. And signs and healings and deliverances accompanied it. So if we're going to yield ourselves in these perilous times as messengers of the good news, the same signs will follow the news, the wonderful news. And what would that look like? What would sharing good news look like now that most of us are working from home and keeping social distancing? It could look like a phone call to encourage one another. message via your social media platform. It could look like to help in any way that you can. Resharing on your social media platforms things that you found inspirational. Pastor was sharing with me this morning how um, anytime he's listening to a video, a music, a worship video on, on YouTube, he finds someone else to share it to. And oftentimes we'll see him posting like that on the WhatsApp. That's because it has blessed him and he thoughts to pass on the message. And that is something we can all do. Praying and interceding for our members, other people around the world, people that are unsafe okay. in Thank this you. time. Memorizing scriptures so that they can become saturated with the word of God. And hopefully, if there is still time towards the end of this service, we would play a clip of our children, our kids and teenagers reciting their memory verses over the past one month. Mentoring others, raising family altars. These are the different means and ways that we can do this. You may not see the outright result of what you are doing, but eternity will reveal it. And the last point, what is the result of all this? Unsustainable joy. The kind of joy that cannot be supported. It's more than the joy of passing your exam. It's more than the joy of getting the job. It's more than the joy of landing a property or acquiring a property. It's, it's the joy that, <laughs> that surpasses all of these dimensions of joy. Beyond the reach of disappointment. <laughs> joy that no news headlines. <laughs> 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 and swat it.
It's a joy that has no contagious joy, a pandemic joy. And as I conclude, joy is rooted in two things. It's rooted in a personal conviction and in hope. It's rooted in a personal conviction and just two verses in us as we conclude to, to highlight that. The first is Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39 from the message translation. It says, I'm absolutely convinced, and I want this to be all of us, that we are absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, nothing angelic or demonic, nothing today or tomorrow, nothing high or low, nothing thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love. Because the way that Jesus, our master, because of the way Jesus, our master, has embraced us in times like this. And the second is Lamentations 3, 21 to 24 from the ESV. The writer of Lamentations, Jeremiah, he says, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I mean, Lamentation is one of the books you don't, you, you don't find really exciting to read because like the name says, it's all Lamentations. But towards the end, it comes to this point and say, in spite of all these lamentations, I call these things to mind and it gives me hope. What are those things? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. COVID-19 cannot cease it. The mercies of God, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Oh, great is your faithfulness. Then it goes on to say, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And that's, that's, that's the basic unit of joy that I'm describing, that the Lord is my portion. The Lord is your portion. And I pray that that joy, such joy, such understanding that bats such contagious joy will find roots in our lives in the name of Jesus. I'll say a word of prayer, then I'll hand over to Pastor for the announcements. Father, Lord God, we thank you because you are the source of all joys. You are, the, you, are the, you are the one in whom we can plant our lives and experience such uncontainable joy, such pandemic joy. And Lord, we ask that in the midst of all this, we are laying hold on that personal conviction of your love. We are laying hold on that hope that we have because you are our portion. You are our portion. Anything that you don't permit cannot get to us. Anything that does not glorify you is not permitted in our midst. And so we give you the glory and we hide ourselves in you. Thank you, everlasting Father. May the words that we've heard bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' unfailing name we pray. Amen. Amen. Over to you, Pastor. Uh,